Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. New VanCast, today after the lottery balls fall and the Vancouver Canucks remain where they were slotted, Tom uh, went into the draft lottery uh, with the ninth best odds of uh, winning it all. And of course, uh, they didn't win either of the actual lottos, uh, but they didn't lose. And I guess uh, from a Canucks perspective, uh, that's a sliver of sunshine, the fact that they didn't fall back in the draft. Man, as draft lotteries go, like where was the drama? Like, there, there just wasn't anything to that draft lottery last night. Yeah, but straight through. Um, <laughs> you know, you, if you have a 20% chance at the top of picking first and then a 15% chance of, you know, one of the top three teams picking second, or maybe it's a little bit lower than that, like your, your chances of having a draft lottery actually flow normally are like 3%. <laughs> you know, it's like the odds, it's, it's sort of a gambler's fallacy thing. It's like the odds are that the apple cart will be upset as we've seen. You know, this is the first time in the multi-draw era, and granted, the other times it was three draws, this time it was only two. This is the first time in the multi-draw draft lotto era that the Canucks haven't moved back. Uh, And two of the five times now, they've moved back multiple spots. Uh, Twice they've moved back once, and, and last night they didn't move back at all. I think they take that as a win, especially in a draft class that's, you know, moving to look pretty stratified with like a... You know, yeah, there's a top end. There's It's like a 1-1, one, 2-5 one, sort of tier of players. And at least the Canucks from that sort of top nine, relatively stable group, like the Canucks should get whoever remains of that group. And that's not a bad spot to be in, all, all told, especially in a draft class this uncertain. I mean, the Canucks will get a really high-end prospect, provided that they keep and make the pick. Right. I think we label the night fine with nine, right? Like fine with They nine. didn't slide like back. Fine with nine. Uh, <laughs> put it, put it, put it on a banner and fly it around town. Oh my uh, god! Fine with nine. <laughs> like they didn't, they, they didn't get passed by the flames. The flames, you know, like th- there was no Oiler angst because the Oilers made the playoffs. They weren't in this lottery, but in years gone by, there's got to be that angst that ah, oh, the Oilers are gonna, you know, again. So there was uh, this time around. I guess it was Flames angst that somehow Calgary uh, would see its card come up and and been one of the winners that didn't happen everything went according to form until those final three where Seattle was actually uh, one of the winners and so was Buffalo but the Sabres went in with the best odds we talked a fair bit about that on on our last pod so you know I think it's good for the Kraken whether they drafted third or second but just for them to get a little juice uh, hopefully get a little extra pub down in Seattle as people start to take interest in you know, what's about to happen here with the expansion draft and beyond that, the draft itself and, and filling out a roster for the Seattle Kraken. So, you know, from from my perspective, I kind of thought that was a good outcome, not just for the Kraken, but the NHL to give a little extra shine to its newest franchise to get a little love here from the lottery balls. Yeah, it was perfect outcome for, an, for a league that had a ton of 
you know, GMs hand-wringing about the way that the New York Rangers had moved so far up the draft lottery order in consecutive years, right? Like a no-drama lottery was like exactly what the doctor ordered for the NHL. Uh, not that I'm recommending any of our audience start fashioning tinfoil caps. Uh, I've been in that room. I don't think I don't think you can you can play any. There's no funny business going on. It's actually quite boring. But the you know fact is is that this was like exactly what the league would have wanted. You know, a relatively straightforward draft outcome, and the fact that their newest team gets a little bit of a hit. Uh, I mean, that's perfect, ideal. Across the board, exactly what the NHL would have wanted, except, of course, their broadcast rights partners were probably like, you know, last year you gave us complete pandemonium with like a mystery team, (laughs) you know, like (laughs) what happened to the mystery team this year, NHL? But other than that, uh, I mean, a really you couldn't have more disparate outcomes between last year and this one, eh? Like they're just wildly different in terms of how straightforward and dull uh, this week's was versus the one that we saw last year. I don't think the league's going to have a problem with that, though, at all. No, and, and like last year, I was fine. Like I was sort of, you know, everything was off the board. It was COVID. We didn't know what was going on in the world. And to have placeholders, sure, why not? Right? Like that's ultimately. And then that first round, you either moved on or you became one of the eight into the placeholder lottery. Like there was some sort of kitschiness to all of that that I was okay with. I was fine that there were no placeholders in this year's draft lottery. And I know that. You know, you kind of laid out the fact that the Canucks, where they stay fine with nine, uh, are going to get a good player. You talked to Jim right afterwards. I know Jim did a couple of interviews, and and you know he talked about the fact that the Canucks have, wouldn't you know it, nine guys that uh, they've got their eye on. So uh, they're guaranteed to get you know the, one of the guys that they're looking at if, in fact, they hold on. But you know, I, I thought Jim sort of played his cards reasonably well last night uh, post lottery where he said, like, we're open to anything. I'm going to make some phone calls. Like, when you are where you are in the Vancouver Canucks, like, I think as a manager, you got to be open to everything. Like, I'm still on the record. I don't think that trading the first-round pick is the right thing for this group right here, right now. That said, without knowing what you're getting in return, like, you know, I'm, just, I'm not going to plant my flag and say, they cannot trade that pick. Like, I need to know what the deal is in order to assess it properly. So I think for the Canucks, you know, six weeks out from the the draft itself, like you got to keep your options open at the very least right now. Uh, Yeah. I mean, for sure. Don't get me wrong. Of course, but I'm a little more of a, you got to make the pick absolutist. Like I, I just think the way that this season is positioned for the Canucks, you know, I like, I assume you're like me, J-Pat, and your mentions are just filled with Seth Jones seagulls right now. Like, well, what do you think about Seth Jones? Should the Canucks get Seth Jones? Yeah. Seth Jones, Seth Jones. And, you know, for me, right, as I sort of think this through, and, and this dates back to a lot of what I've modeled, too, uh, with the cap, with where the Canucks are positioned, with what this season looks like. And, and I'll actually be doing more of it today for a piece tomorrow that's sort of... Um, breaking down team needs in a, in a really analytical way. Now, one of the Canucks' biggest needs, honestly, is a top-pair caliber right-handed defenseman, right? Not an easy piece to find, J-Pat, right? That is a really no, tough piece. No. But aside from that, but aside from that, when you look at what this team has and you break it down and compare it to what average contenders have in their lineup, you know, this team still has good bones, Fundamentally, like they're not as far away 
as it looked this past season. They really aren't. And that's sort of one thing that I was almost surprised by when I broke it down the way that I that I, I have and that we'll present on Friday. But it's like you've got your one C. You've got a bona fide one C who can go up, you know, I mean, it's not McDavid, it's not McKinnon, it's not Matthews, but like this is a top ten centerman in hockey, based on what we expect from him, you know, next year and in the years to come. You've got a bona fide top line right wing in Brock Besser. You've got a really good 2C in Bo Horvat. Um, you know, JT Miller's an additional top six caliber forward. The model we're, we're using doesn't love Hoaglander or Pod Colson or Pearson as top six players. But nonetheless, I mean, they're they're good third, good middle six guys. But so you're looking at two top six forwards, a top, he- a top pair right-handed defenseman, sort of a bottom pair lefty, which you might already have in the system in Jack Rathbone. Again, the, the model we're using doesn't like young players generally. It's kind of like me. And two bottom, bottom six centermen. Like, that's not... On the one hand, there's no way you can accomplish that this offseason with the cap flexibility you have. But on the other, you're really not that far away from, from cooking with gas and or oil. <laughs> I know people like to ask us which one it is. <laughs> gas and or oil. You're really not. You're, I'm in the I I'm in the gas camp, by the way. Yeah, like, but <laughs> but like you're you're well on the fairway on a par four. I mean, you know, you've probably taken two strokes to get there. <laughs> but um, but like there there you just need to hit this this season, this off season, lay it up. This off season, you got to lay it up. In my in my view, like do this the Jack Nicholas way. Lay it up on the green, nice and easy, and set yourself up for an easy putt for par. You know, like, if you're going for the hole here, you might catch, you know, one of the hills. You might catch a fast-moving green. You might end up in the bunker. Very easily, you can move, end up in the bunker. This is a pruning offseason for a team that a year from now, if they manage things right, if they get Pedersen and Hughes locked up at the right number, um, if they don't deal any too significant futures or commit too much cap space into the 2022, 23 season, like they're going to be so well positioned to make noise next year. So when I just sort of look at a player like Seth Jones, it's like, yeah, it almost exactly what the doctor ordered for this franchise. But when you look at the assets that this club has to trade, not a ton of them. When you look at the system as it stands pretty damn lean. When you look at the cap space that they have for next season, not a ton of flexibility. It's like, this is a club that needs to pitch Seth Jones as a free agent a year from now, not sell out, you know, what remains of their limited assets and lock up, you know, an additional six million of their cap space uh, for this next season when it's going to be really tight, uh, like this summer. Unfortunately, because of how the Canucks played last offseason, uh, because of the way that Pedersen and Hughes' first contracts expire, like the, the timing of their ELCs expiring, and because of all the tough, inefficient commitments that the club has to Roussel and Beagle and Holtby and Erickson, and we can go on and on, um, this this is the take-your-medicine offseason. This is the lay-it-up-on-the-green the offseason. And if you do it right, you'll set yourself up to take a quantum step forward next summer. Um, for me this sort of all comes back to it. And it's why the Canucks really should make that pick. Like they need to add an elite prospect to the system too. That's a really important thing for me because once Pod Colson and Rathbone graduate, like, Oh boy, you know, you're talking about a bottom three, five system in hockey in terms of the talent depth that will be remaining, particularly if you don't make a first round pick this year. 
When the news broke that Seth Jones is going to ask for a trade, you know, that part doesn't surprise me. He's in Columbus. Uh, his contract expires a year from now. Uh, you know, going to explore his options, all of that. Like the idea of Seth Jones, as you said, the big right shot defenseman, a guy that has put up points in the National Hockey League, has logged massive minutes. We all know what he did in the bubble last year in that uh, five overtime game where he played 60 some odd minutes himself. I, you know, I, I guess I haven't paid a ton of attention this year to, you know, the underlying numbers for Seth Jones. Like when people have posted just how, uh, far his game has dropped here. Like, I still think that there has to be a better player in there in the right situation. But man, like that was pause for thought when I saw enough of the uh, infographics and the, you know, the the charts around his individual play. So that sort of made me stop for a second. You know, the other thing is, and like you were talking about cooking materials, like I may have uh, thrown some gas on a fire as well. When that story broke on the weekend that he was looking at you know, for an out, you know, I posted a picture of uh, his year in Portland where he played for Travis Green, and he was basically a point-a-game defenseman, 56 points in 61 games. You know, so there's the connection, the the Travis Green connection. Uh, The problem is also from that Portland organization during Travis's time there, you know, Seth, or Seth, Sven Berchi. Derek Pouliot. Derek Pouliot, Brendan Leipzig. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. and before him, of course, it was, you know, Lyndon Vay and Willie D. And, like, just because guys had success playing for somebody in junior hockey, like, that's a lifetime ago now. So, uh, you know, is there a personal connection between Travis Green and Seth Jones? Uh, probably on some level. I don't imagine that they keep uh, in close contact now, uh, given their current, you know, employment situations. But, Anyways, uh, it's just it's important to know just because a guy had one decent year playing for a coach almost a, a decade ago now, uh, you know, I don't know that that makes the Canucks front runners necessarily for Seth Jones's services. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure, I'm certain that Travis is an admirer of, of Seth Jones's game because everyone's an admirer of Seth Jones's game, right? And that the familiarity is just sort of a you know, Seth Jones was clearly the best player that Green coached at that level, right? Like clearly by a lot. And that team did a lot of big things, you know, in their mutual time there. So, you know, look, I'm not as low on Seth Jones as the numbers by any means. I think you're getting a bona fide 1A defenseman, right? Top 15, 20 defenders in hockey. But that's the range. This isn't, you know, for me anyway, like this isn't Charlie McAvoy, right? This isn't Cal McCarr. This isn't, you know, one of the top five guys. This is one of the top 10 to 15, maybe 20. Uh, probably 50. That's probably my range for him. I, I think he's better than the numbers show. And, and I think this season was a write-off for almost everyone in Columbus, right? Like, I, I just think there was something funky there. Uh, I don't think it's a secret what it was. And, you know, we've seen a lot of guys bounce back from funky Tortorella seasons over the years, right? right? Like, Alex Edler's Tortorella season, he let, he was the worst plus-minus player in the NHL. <laughs> you know? And, and he was great the next year when the Canucks went to the playoffs on in year one under Willie D. So, I, I mean, look, I, I'm convinced that Seth Jones is going to bounce back, whether he remains in Columbus or, or ventures elsewhere, or whether he ventures elsewhere and extends or tests free agency. I mean, I think that fundamentally, unfortunately, like, and this is what happens. This is what happens to teams. Like, I know people aren't going to like this take, but it is what it is. Like, when you make a ton of bets that tie your hands, right? When you let yourself get 
um, Gullivered by the Lilliputians that are that is committed cap space. Um, you're less flexible to pounce on various scenarios or opportunities that come along. And this is an example of that. Like they're just not at a spot in their team building cycle, in my opinion, to make a big all in bet on Seth Jones and make no mistake. That's what it's going to take. People are like, well, what about maybe it's like Schmidt and a first. And it's like, first of all, Schmidt has a 10 team, no trade clause. You know, Columbus is a pretty popular place that a lot of players have on that. I mean, I don't know whether it's on his list or not, but I mean, that's not straightforward. Uh, Schmidt, a first and a bad contract, like not getting it done, guys. Come on, not getting it done. Every team's going to be bidding for this guy. This is not an easy one. And so I just I just don't see how they have the assets to do it. And unless they're sending bad money out, which why would Columbus want that? I'm sure they'll have opportunities to send Seth Jones elsewhere in a way that gains them flexibility. You know, like it's just not something that I think makes sense for this team at this current juncture. Like this is a team that needs to really be disciplined this summer to set themselves up to be a player in those types of moves a year from now. And so part of that sort of overall conservatism that the team is now baked into, like they're baked into this. This is a clear, this is the clear strategic play based on their position right now. Um, Is that extra year of pain? Jim Benning even said it, by the way, in in February, right? Like we, we, right. The two years. The club is aware of this, right? Fundamentally, this club is aware of this. And yet, I think with how things transpired late in the season, we now all expect some sexy all-in move from this team. And it's just like, man, you guys missed your window. Like the sexy offseason was last offseason before your guys got paid. And the club, right, but, but Tom, he, but in February, he says two years at the year end, or he says be aggressive and have to make the playoffs. So this comes back to this ongoing you know, notion yeah. of mixed, mixed messages from the organization and – we know that the the seat is still hot under Jim Benning. Like it looks like he's going to be the general manager to start next season, but there's still a ton of uncertainty around you know his future if they get off to a tough start, if things go sideways, all of those types. And, and so I think when you get the mixed messages and you hear him say be aggressive, you know that's where people's ears perk up and they think well aggressive means you know they don't have a lot of trade chips, so that first rounder has to be in play. And so, you know, he didn't back away, but he didn't, he didn't back away from that either with his comments. But I think he's high on this draft class and there's only been one year in which he didn't make a first round pick in his time in Vancouver. It was in the wake of the JT Miller trade. I, my, my, my gut is, is that it's much more likely that they make this pick than they, than that they trade it. And that's the right play. So, okay, let's work on that assumption then, because we're a day after the draft lottery. Uh, you wrote in the wake, uh, all of the beat writers at The Athletic did a quick mock draft afterwards. Um, uh, did you notice that I won it? Well, I saw some people suggesting that you did. Well, that was my editor. But um, oh. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> that's like that's like my mom says I was the best in the play. Um, but well, that's good. The, the, good the, you, know, you want your editor to have your back. <laughs> but the... Um, but the <laughs> but the scouts, the NHL scouts who broke the thing down, they were like, no way McTavish lasts to ninth. Like, great pick. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Yeah, buddy. Nailed it. I was very proud of myself. Was it done in real time? Like, did you, was it like a, a, a snaking email that just arrived in your lap with the eight picks before the Canucks? Or did you get to... We had a Slack channel. So I was watching it unfold, but I knew my approach. Okay. Like, the moment the Canucks were at nine, I was like, great. I take whoever falls. Right? Like, whoever's the last on the board of... 
this tier of guys, and the way that I view this draft class and the way that most of the scouts I've spoken with view this draft class, it's like power one, Benier two, right? Veneers. Come on. Veneers. Is it Veneers? Yeah. Okay. Veneers two. Thank you. I'll never make that mistake again. Um, (laughs) And then it's, and then it's, and then it's uh, sort of a, like there's kind of a soft uh, additional tier that's sort of like Gunther, uh, you know, Hughes and Brandt Clark. And then Johnson, Kent Johnson, Mason McTavish, uh, Edvinson, um, or did I already say Edvinson? Um, who's the other guy? Well, anyway, the four defense. Eklund. Yeah. Eklund, 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 that sort of group. So it's like one of those nine names the Canucks are going to get. And I was just like, well, whatever, whoever falls to me, I'm going to take. That's exactly how the Canucks should play it. Um, and then I come out of that draft and everyone's like, I can't believe that guy was available at nine. Great value. And it's like, that's exactly what's going to happen to the Canucks. None of those guys can fall to nine and anyone's going to say that guy should have fallen to nine. So, I, I mean, that's your approach. And for me, by the way, the Canucks should be hoping to get to get Kent Johnson. I, I think I just think Kent Johnson's the most the, like the highest upside offensive talent, the rarest player type in the group. But man, I don't think you'd be unhappy with McTavish. I don't think you'll be unhappy with Eklund. Um, you know, I don't think you'll be ha- unhappy with any of those nine guys if you take them. And and I do also think there's a chance that one of those teams reaches for a goalie or reaches for Chaz Lucic. Lucic, oh my goodness, Lucius, and you end up uh, and you end up with your pick of two. And uh, I mean that's even better. So yeah, no, I I, I like the Canucks' position here. I actually really do think it favors them. I'm, I'm glad you brought up the goalie. Uh, Jesper Wallstedt seems to be the consensus top goalie in the draft, Swede. Um, you, you look at some of the teams that are picking just ahead of the Canucks. Like, I think Detroit can use help everywhere, but, I mean, the Red Wings could use, you know, a, a blue-chip goaltender. The LA Kings have been riding Jonathan Quick forever. Um, Cal Peterson's you know, and, and good. San and San Jose, right, but if you're drafting a guy now, like... You know, Cal Peterson can still play. I mean, I, I don't think Quick has many years left. Um, and San Jose, another team that's, you know, cycled through goalies forever, it seems. So I don't know. I haven't seen anybody suggesting that Wallstat's going to go in the top 10, but I do wonder if there is a team that would reach if they felt that, you know, organizationally that was the right play for them. And, and then you're right, that would free up yet another option for the Vancouver Canucks. Let me throw yeah. this one at you. Okay. I do wonder, you have established repeatedly that Kent Johnson is a neighbor of mine here in North Van. Yes. Right? <laughs> Even though he's from Port Moody. But <laughs> yeah, Lynn Valley Kent, in fact. Tom, I have watched this kid growing up playing road hockey out front of my house yeah, yeah. for years. <laughs> yes, he was, the, he, was, um, <laughs> he was known as the sniper of Lonsdale. <laughs> right, exactly. I wonder... If all things were equal, let's say that the goalie goes and that McTavish and Johnson are available to the Vancouver Canucks. They have their their choice of the two. Every guy's different. But is there or has there been a lesson learned from the Jake Vertanen experiment? And forget the latest development in Jake Vertanen. I'm talking about taking the local kid and thinking that this is what the organization needs because... He's from here. Like, do you want, is there any chance the organization is gun shy because the Vertanen pick flopped on so many levels? 
they shouldn't be. I mean, I think you just have to evaluate it based on who you like the best. Like for me, you just have to do that. You know, I, I mean, you got to do your homework too. You got to make sure that there's a support structure in place and that there's a variety of things that you can do to perhaps better insulate. Maybe, maybe, you know, Kent Johnson's a college player, right? Like maybe he bakes an extra year. Maybe he's not rushed into the league like Jake Vertanen was. My, for, for me anyway, my, my guess is you got to sort of adjust how you're handling it based on the overall player development side as opposed to when you make the pick itself. Like for the pick, you pick the guy you like better. And, you know, Johnson and McTavish, if, if you have your choice of those two guys, like just, just do a backflip and pick the guy you have higher on your list. Like that's fantastic. I like both players a lot. I think both, both players would immediately be Vancouver's top prospect. Both players look really good to me. I like a lot of what I'm hearing about McTavish. Um, I like what I've seen of him. It, very limited. I've never seen Ken Johnson play. But the guys I trust the most in the industry just think that Ken Johnson is like one of the most dynamic, if not the most dynamic offense, like pure offensive piece in this draft. And you know, also is relatively reliable. And and like I have scouts tell me they thought he was more reliable than Beneers in their view, in terms of his two way play, uh, just like bright, not a burner, but gets around, um, you know, that to me is a rarer piece than, um, you know, a fire in your belly guy like McTavish. Like one of the scouts about, about McTavish said that he could occasionally take a log off the fire, but you'd never tell him that because his competitive competitiveness is his edge. I mean, you love to hear that. Like, you love to hear that about a guy, too. So, um, look, I like both pros- prospects a lot. I think the Canucks probably like both prospects a lot. They should. And if both fall to you, I don't think you can let baggage from, you know, the past eight years or, or you know, the number six pick in 2014 cloud your judgment in terms of taking Ken Johnson or McTavish. It's just, you know, how do you sort of value the two, uh, relatively speaking? Do you prefer... Johnson's higher offensive ceiling or do you prefer McTavish's you know physical game and and competitiveness uh, like like preternatural competitiveness that's sort of how you figure it out and you know for me I, I'm, I'm always going to lean toward the more unique offensive piece I've seen a couple of different outlets describe Kent Johnson as slippery I like that word I just I, that to me like you know sort of trying to catch a fish with your bare hands and just not able to contain. You might get your hands on them, but you can't contain. Uh, and the fish is going to slip away and slip through your grasp. Yes. And so I like the idea. Slippery yeah. Kent Johnson. That, that's how we build them here in North Fan. Slippery. <laughs> but just bright, right? Just like a really headsy offensive player with a ton of tools. And, you know, sort of sort of savant-like. Um, and, and when you look at his statistical profile, like almost everyone that's produced like Kent Johnson did at – that level at that age goes on to have a meaningful NHL career. And you're going to find some real stars in that group too. Like you're going to find Phil Kessel. You're going to find Jonathan Taves. Um, you'll also find some lower end long term tenured NHL players. Like what's the, what's the former college player, uh, long time Nashville, Nashville predator plays for Boston. I can't remember his name right now. I, I want to call him Colin Miller, but that's not right. It's Wilson, right? Colin Wilson guy like that too. So, I mean, for me anyway, Kent Johnson, Kent Johnson, like I'm, I'm all in on, on the local product and not because I'm, you know, one of those, one of those like rah, rah, uh, British Columbian nationalists or anything. I just sort of, I just sort of think if, if you have a chance to draft a player with that type of upside at nine, like, you know, 
my goodness, you know, <laughs> rub your belly. Like, that's fantastic. I'm going to go start to, to organize Slippery Kent Johnson Day at the Capilano Fish Hatchery. <laughs> and the, the the people in Port Moody won't understand why I'm there by myself uh, with banners and balloons and everything else. But uh, it'll be quite a day. Uh, <laughs> VIPs can the, the VIPs are invited. They can come join yeah. me uh, on draft day. It'll be uh, Kent Johnson Day at the Fish ne- Hatchery. Next door to the Malcolm Lowry Festival. <laughs> <laughs> I want to point the VIPs to the mock draft that you guys did immediately after, so uh, you can get a sense of the lay of the land there. Uh, You and Harm have also come up with a piece where you have talked to four scouts from around the National Hockey League to get a better feel on, uh, you know, comparing and contrasting. And and it was a fascinating read, and I certainly would recommend it to to the VIPs. Again, just as now we know, you know, the Canucks aren't going to get Owen Power. Like, that's just not going to happen. So you can start to sort of laser focus yourself on the realistic opportunities for the Vancouver Canucks and and I thought uh, it was a good piece that kind of laid out you know the pros and cons some guys like some guys don't like the players and you got a, a good feel for you know the scouting community's view on uh the players that uh, you know one of them is likely to fall to the Vancouver Canucks in that ninth slot yeah we were just trying to take people inside like some of the discussions happening in the industry and, and we tried to lay it out so that it almost read like you were at a table of scouts discussing guys they liked or didn't like or why they have this guy rated ahead of this guy. And, you know, I think it's a, it's a nice fun piece and I think it'll give people a sort of a good glimpse of what some of the smartest guys in this business are saying about some of these prospects, some of these guys that could fall to the Canucks and some of the guys who probably won't fall to the Canucks like, like Luke Hughes. So um, look, the fun little read, well worth your time. And, and the sort of thing that, you know, I feel like we can do at the athletic that not a lot of other outlets can in terms of, um, you know, granting that anonymity and bringing people inside sort of that type of a, a situation. So I really, really enjoyed that piece. I think it's breezy, it's fun and, uh, and informative. Like it, uh, even just compiling it uh, really sharpened my opinions on the draft class. And hopefully that'll uh, be the VIP's experience too. One last thing on the draft lottery. And I don't know if you saw the tweet. I, I wish I had jotted down uh, who came up with it. Cause it was uh, incredible in my mind. Uh, somebody suggesting that Buffalo should take Luke Hughes first overall. That's not going to happen. But the suggestion was take Luke Hughes first overall. Remember the Sabres drafted Jack Quinn last year. The Sabres could then say they had Jack Quinn and Luke Hughes. Right. <laughs> wow. I like it. I do like it too. I like that. I, I, Jack Quinn yeah. is definitely the honorary fourth Hughes brother, right? Like, there's no question. <laughs> oh, no, no doubt. No question. No, and no doubt and, about I it. I mean, he's a he's a heck of a player. But the uh, the Sabers. I'm curious to see if the Sabers take power. Right? They they do have a lot of lefty D in their system, but they, I think you just got to go for it. Like, you just can't you can't replicate power. You know, you can't you can't replicate power. <laughs> <laughs> you, can't. you can't. It's uh, it's um, you know. Anyway, the, it's pure energy. <laughs> but the, oh, I mean, six foot five defenseman who skates like that and, you know, uh, can do all the things he can do. I mean, that's, that's too rare, too rare a piece uh, for me, especially when Beniers is a guy who, you know, some in the industry don't even have as the sort of consensus number two and maybe don't see as a top, top line player. Like, you got to go with the D no matter what, like, your club looks like or, or how it's set up. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's Sabres fans. If you go read the comment section of that mock draft, like Sabres fans are all on the Veneers train, um, which is a fun dynamic. So it'd be interesting to see how this, uh, 
how this all unfolds, but my guess is you see power off the board first, Veneers two, and then from there, anyone's guess. Um, you know, it's gonna be it's gonna be a very wide open draft, even among the top ten. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Tom, news of the day out of the National Hockey League. Uh, The streak is over for the Vancouver Canucks. I don't think anybody after the midway mark really thought that Niels Hoaglander was going to be a finalist for Rookie of the Year, but the Calder finalists are out. Kirill Kaprizov, Alex Nedeljkovic, and Jason Robertson. Uh, they get the nod. It's likely to be Kaprizov. I don't uh, imagine that uh, anybody's going to knock him off the perch Should be. Should after be the season that he had. But no Nils Hoaglander. And again, this does not diminish Hoaglander's season in any way. Uh, he was a terrific add to the Canucks. We've spoken about him at length. But uh, uh, for people that were hoping the streak would continue and the Canucks would have yet another finalist for the Rookie of the Year, not going to happen. Yeah. And look, Hoaglander was... In my top five, when I cast my vote, I'll, I'll tell people that. But you know, I, I thought what what Kaprizov and Robertson did was incredible. You know, Nedeljkovic's numbers were through the roof, and I think a lot of people considered the uh, goalie out of New York too really closely. So you know, it, it was stiff competition. You also add in Josh Norris, who outscored Hoaglander by a fair bit, although at even strength anyway. You know, Hoaglander was far more productive. Um, you know, you, you throw that in, there was stiff competition, and, and Hoaglander played really well. Like, Hoaglander has established himself as a guy I think we can count on developing into a bona fide top six player. That's sort of a higher ceiling than I thought he probably had before the season, based on what he'd done in the SHL. Uh, he showed incredibly well. It was a fantastic season. The, the hardware, the finalist, the nominee doesn't matter. What, what matters is that for two more years on an entry-level deal, the Canucks have a guy that you know is going to be able to contribute and score and win battles in a middle-six role and maybe has upside to do more. Uh, don't don't get caught up in any disappointment. Hoaglander is incredible, and he had an incredible season, even if it wasn't quite, uh, you know, didn't quite warrant, and I think fairly didn't warrant uh, a, a Calder finalist spot. This is a Canuck podcast, but it's also a hockey podcast, and I just want to take a sec to weigh in on Shifley and, and Jake Evans. Uh, yeah. Because I hated that hit. I, I hated a lot about that hit. And I, I think it's so important for me to note the game state, right? Like, I saw people try to compare what happened in that game last night to Aaron Rome and Nathan Horton. And I was like, come on. Like, Aaron Rome... Yeah, it was zero zero game in the first period. It was open ice. It was a Stanley Cup final, and he wasn't out to injure. Like he, no. he, it, it, I'll go to my grave believing that. Like Mark Shifley and I saw a lot of people trying to defend him. Oh, he's a clean player. He doesn't play like that. Mark Shifley had one objective on that play, and it was accomplished. It wasn't to prevent the goal. And if you watch closely. He lets up, like he stops skating the last 15 feet. And maybe you can mm-hmm. use that in his defense that it could have been worse, but 
that to me just proves that he wasn't trying to break up the empty net goal. He was frustrated. He had been frustrated through the game. His team lost. The empty netter sealed it. In my opinion, he had one objective on that play, and it was accomplished. And and Jake Evans was injured, and it sucks for him. And what bugs me about it is, like, yeah, he's given a charging major. Like, call it what it was. It was an intent to injure. Like, call it a match penalty. And don't worry about the infraction. Like, whether it was charging or had it been boarding or high stick. Like, don't worry. There is language in the rule book. The intent to injure. Give him a match penalty. And again, just I find the referees on the ice. Like, Winnipeg doesn't need a five-minute power play at that stage of a game with a minute to go and a two-goal lead. So it's not about, you know, penalizing the Winnipeg Jets in that sense. Penalize the player, the action, call it a match penalty. It's there in the rule book and then let things flow from there. And the other thing that I hate about all this is like, I love playoff hockey and that Vegas Colorado game last night was off the charts. Good. And yeah, fantastic. You know, and that's what playoff hockey should look like. And yet we see it way too often after a hard fought game the last minute is complete and utter garbage time where it's just open season on opponents and you don't see it in any of the other professional sports. Like you don't see when a football team goes into victory formation, you know, somebody coming in late and just drilling the quarterback because you don't see in the ninth inning of a baseball game that's decided by five runs, pitchers just throwing at guys for the sake of doing it. You know, basketball, yeah. you'll see the odd hard foul, but again, you're not seeing a guy basically just headbutt another guy trying to hurt him. And yet for some reason, the hockey culture and people will try to defend Shifley and talk about Evans keeping his head up and all that other BS. Mark Shifley lost it for a moment and his sole objective was to hurt Jake Evans. And I just don't know, like Jake Evans signed up for a contact sport. I get that. He didn't sign up to have somebody in a predatory na- you know, nature. <laughs> Take a 50 foot run at him. Right. And so... <laughs> like it, two strides is charging. He went the he went what half the length of the ice. Well, if you see the wide shot, he starts way back in the Montreal land. Like it's basically the full so like length of the ice. 130 foot run. At yeah, it. I mean it's yeah, and preposterous. And I just you know, in the same breath that we put these guys on a pedestal at the end of each series about the handshake and respect in the game of hockey and. And then this final minute bullshit where guys just feel it's open season on opponents. Like, I hate that. I hate that. The game is better than that. And yet it continues. Yeah. I love it. I loved everything about that, j And I agree with you. I, you know what? In real time, when I saw it, I was like, well, it doesn't look like the principal contact point of contact's the head. And then when I saw how long he traveled, I was like, that's the worst charge I've ever seen. Like, I've just never seen a charge that blatant. And he's going to have a telephonic hearing. Uh, the NHL Department of Player Safety has announced. So that means that he can't be suspended for more than five. So he could potentially play in the series again. To me, that's a little light. Uh, you know, that was there's there's no excuse for a hit like that. And I think everyone knows. It. Yeah. And again, it's just language. But the idea in 2021 that there is such a thing as a phone hearing, like... Like, just 
have a hearing, like whether, I mean, use technology. Well, you just, you just have to be offered it. You can waive your right to the I, in-person hearing. I understand the, that, but just like, yeah. get the like, a phone hearing, this idea that they're all sitting around on a conference call. Like it's Zoom, first of all, like, you know, get with the times and who cares? <laughs> who cares? Like, you know, yes, the commissioner should always be able to step in in extraordinary circumstances, but you know, this idea that oh, it's a it's a phone hearing and so it can only be five games. Like, to me, get that language out of there. Like, review each case on its merits and then apply the suspension the way that it, it should be applied. So I'll be really curious to see where this goes. We know that uh, the league values playoff games more than regular season games. And, you know, yeah, Mark Shifley, people, oh, he's not that kind of player. Well, he did that last night. So he is that kind of player. He's not that kind of player every game. He's, you know, he's not... I don't see him as a headhunter necessarily. Uh, and again, whether the principal point of contact is his head or uh, his chest, the intent was to injure the guy. Like he was trying to blow him up and he did. So you know, again, I just wish the honest officials would call it what it was, use the language that's in the rule book to call it a match penalty and then take it from, from there. I also, you know, I see a lot of people. Also, also, also the Shafley thing really quickly, yeah. people being like, he's not that type of player. It's like, I don't know who, how much Shifley anyone's watched, but Mark Shifley's a mean piece of work. That's what makes him effective. Usually, he does it in more of that like Martin Hansel sort sort <laughs> of way. You know, like usually it's just like, oh, that looks like a player who you'd be bruised to living hell playing, especially over the course of a seven game series, and that's to his credit. But like, this is not a skilled guy who doesn't mix it up. You know, Mark Shifley's got edge to his game. Like, come on. We don't have to we don't have to pretend he doesn't. Like this is not <laughs> you know, this is not outside the realm of what you'd expect from a mean piece of work who lost control for a moment. You know, like that anyway, that's that's just really quickly. Like I I see a lot of people being like not that kind of player, you know, and it's like this is not a skilled guy. This is not like a skilled guy who plays between the whistles. Mark Shifley's always been a piece, uh, mean piece of work. It's partly why he's been so good in his NHL career. And I see a lot of people, and rightly so, pointing out the work of Nick Ehlers to try to protect Jake Evans when he was down. I also want to point out Kyle Murchison, the, the linesman, who I thought did a yeah. really nice job as well. And so uh, not fair to uh, you know throw bouquets at Nick Ehlers without pointing out that the linesman, rather than worrying about the scrum, was worried about uh, there was some humanity shown there uh, worrying about yeah. protecting the player. Uh, the other thing, quickly, and I mentioned Vegas and Colorado, and that was so good. I didn't like the penalty in overtime, obviously. But, man, any penalty to Vegas is just another opportunity uh, to watch that Colorado power play go to work, which uh, is incredible. But late in the game, because remember we had the the conversation on a recent podcast about you know good players penalty killing, especially in the playoffs. And right. you know a 2-2 game with three minutes to go, Colorado gets called, Devon Taves uh, tripped up, uh, Petrangelo I think it was. Tyson Jost and Sam Gerrard, both out there on the penalty kill in a tie game with under three minutes to play. Both of them are 23. You know, Jost developing into that two-way guy, but Gerrard, you know, among the smaller defensemen in the National Hockey League, and yet Jared Bednar trusting those two guys in just a massive situation, and they got the job done. But Gerrard is a shutdown guy. He is. Gerard is a defensive defenseman. Don't be fooled by the size and the wheels and the skill set. Like, Gerard is their matchup guy. Always. He is a defensive defenseman. 
who just defends in a way that's like very new NHL. You know, you know what he is? He's, uh, he's like, imagine, um, remember, remember Mike Weaver? Yeah. The computer. If Mike Weaver, if Mike Weaver had come into the NHL eight years later, he'd be like Sam Gerrard, but without the wheels, right? Like that's, he's a, he's a shutdown guy. Gerrard is fundamentally a shutdown guy. Uh, as for Tyson Jost, he's, he's done really well, especially since Kadri left the lineup. But I think he's really flipped the narrative around him as himself as a player. Um, he's also from North Van, right? J Pat? No, I'm just kidding. But he's a PC <laughs> kid. And, uh, and, um, you know, he's, he's played some excellent two way hockey, a credit to him, because I think going into the season, uh, some in the industry were sort of side eyeing him as a guy who hadn't lived up to his potential. I think he's, you know, really made himself into, into, you know, the sort of player that every team around the league would love to have on their, in their lineup. Mike Weaver was a good dude who built websites on the side. Like he was sort of, you know, not that he needed like the side hustle, but that was sort of what he liked to do away from the rink. He was like a computer guy. Graphic design was his passion. <laughs> well, it was like web. It was coding and stuff. Like he was a, a website cool. designer. Yeah. No, he was. I always liked Mike Weaver. Uh, and a guy yeah, that, ahead of his time. And kind of like Alex Biega, like a guy that just maxed out everything he had to carve out a National Hockey League career. Like he knew he wasn't a star, but the guy made it. He made it to the NHL. Well, and then he played, I mean, after he left Vancouver, he had some really, like, big minute seasons for the Florida Panthers and then for the Montreal Canadiens. Like, he really, yeah. you know, he, he really became, like, an everyday guy um, at the National Hockey League level. Uh, but but if he'd entered the league five to ten years later, you know what I mean? He'd have gotten different opportunities. He might have even had a coach like Jared Bednar who sees Sam Gerrard's skill set and instead of being, like, this guy is a power play quarterback who's not as good as Makar. I don't know how to play him. He's like, this guy is a shutdown defenseman. He's my number one matchup guy. And that's how they've used Gerard multiple years now. Uh, it's incredible. Like he's, he's the pint sized shutdown guy. It's, it's awesome. It's awesome to see. It's a total revolution in how to defend. Um, Gerard is like the, you know, sort of the, the foremost, highest profile expression of that and uh and I, I've, I've loved watching him he's he, I'm, I'm a sam gerard stan i put him on my team canada remember i put him on my team canada right. when we did yeah. those projections in january and everyone was calling me an idiot um <laughs> uh, I, no they weren't know, come on when, nobody when, calls you an you idiot know, <laughs> uh yeah they do and uh <laughs> I, I i had one guy tell me that i was um that i was too lettuce or i was uh just short of a head of lettuce the other day. I like that one. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, Gerard, he's going to be a contender, man. He's played so well. He's a big part of this Avalanche team. Even as Makar and Taves get the headlines, like, it's it's Gerard who's their matchup guy. Well, I was glad and not surprised that Vegas showed up and made it a, a game. And I, I, well, we'll see if they can make it a series, but... That was just a hell of a hockey game. That might have been the best game of the playoffs so far. So uh, we'll see how things go here. Hey, I want to mention as we head to a weekend, if you're looking for other pod options, uh, Dave Tippett, the head coach of the Edmonton Oilers, joining Scott Burnside and Pierre Lebrun this week on the two-man advantage edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. So you may want to have a listen to that. We always tell you as well, check out our comment section for every podcast episode that drops. You can do that at the Athletic app 
rate and subscribe to the VanCast on Apple. And if you're not already a subscriber, go to theathletic.com slash VanCast, receive a subscription for just $3.99 a month. You will see the mock draft that uh, the beat writers from the various cities did last night. Tom participated in that. Uh, he had the Canucks I, grabbing. I didn't just participate. I won. Right. With uh, Mason McTavish. Yes. That, yeah. uh, Winner, winners and losers from the athletic mock draft. Thomas Drenz, best value pick, says NHL scouts. <laughs> there you go. And, and the that's other, what the headline should have been. And the other piece that's up now, uh, the collaboration, you and Harm uh, talking to four NHL scouts and just kind of going through the pros and cons of a lot of the players that will be available to the Canucks with that ninth overall selection. All right. uh, Good week. We covered a lot of ground ahead of the draft lottery, after the draft lottery. Uh, This is our third and final podcast for this week. So uh, enjoy the weekend, everybody. And we'll be back next week to break down whatever the weekend holds as far as the Canucks are concerned. We'll see if there's some Sedin news coming down the pipe here at some point. The coaching staff, uh, Ian Clark, all those things have kind of been shoved to the back burner. But now that the draft lottery is out of the way, uh, we'll continue to focus in on the storylines around the hockey club that we cover. Uh, Drancer, uh, good stuff today. Uh, have yourself a great weekend. And uh, that's going to do it for this edition of The VanCast here at The Athletic and TheAthletic.com. Mm-hmm.